Hi there, it's Janelle, and in a moment, we're going to dive into today's episode of the Finding Something Real podcast. But real quick, I just wanted to share a couple of things. One, today's episode is a direct response to Savannah, my November co-host question about what are some of the best ways that we can share our Christian faith. And to be honest, we could have addressed this in a variety of different ways. We could have had people who are doing apologist ministry or uh, pastors or, you know, authors, all great guests, all great conversations. But today's episode is very special for me. In doing this podcast for the last two years and having recorded over a hundred episodes, this one will be one of my personal favorites for sure. And in a moment, you're going to know why. But I just wanted you to know two things. One, the show notes for today's episode are extra special. There's some really great links in there to sermons that have been preached, um, things that have been written. And uh, if you listen to today's episode and you are intrigued, I just encourage you to go on the show notes and watch a couple sermons and um read more about what's going to be talked about here today. And second, for whoever's listening, I just want you to know that a life lived for Christ has tremendous impact. You may not see it here on earth in the way that you would hope, um, but you, you never know the seeds that are being planted when you just live for Jesus. And um, I hope you receive that message today and that this episode blesses you as it has me. Enjoy. Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is a hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, hello. We are excited you're listening in for season four, where each month I'm co-hosting this podcast with a different young woman. My special co-host each month shares her faith story and asks questions related to spiritual matters. And then throughout the month, we're inviting special guests on to share their stories and also address some of my co-host's honest faith questions. I'm loving this format. 
and all the special young women that I've had the privilege of co-hosting this podcast with thus far. It's just been a tremendous gift. So in regards to that, I want to again say thank you to those of you who are investing in this podcast through Patreon. Your support of what we're doing here is greatly appreciated and super helpful as we're making some big decisions about next year's content and what we can do with the resources we have in season five. So if you are a regular listener of this podcast or just like what we're doing here, then please find out more about how you can help keep this podcast going by becoming a Patreon supporter. More information can be found on my website at findingsomethingreal.com. Just click support at the top of the page. Today, we are back with November's co-host, Savannah. Savannah shared last week about growing up in a Christian home, really giving her life to Jesus at the age of 13, but then again, just recently surrendering to him um, at the age of 21. She's now 22, if I'm correct, because I think she had a birthday, uh, desiring to follow Jesus. And she has some fantastic questions about how to do that. So Savannah, I am really excited that you are back today. Me too. (laughs) Thank you for being here. How have you been since we recorded? I know it's been only a week, but it's also been several weeks since we actually recorded. So how are you doing? It's been really good. Really busy with school and work, but it's nice staying busy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's awesome that you're here. And Savannah, one of the questions you asked that I thought was so compelling, because you had, you had like four. I mean, you have, (laughs) you have a few. We've got material. Um, You kind of asked about the best practices for sharing faith with others. Um, Not wanting to be too pushy, but also wanting to share the freedom that you found in relationship with Jesus with your friends and maybe your coworkers. Um, Is that fair? Like, is that a good way to describe? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Okay. It's a great question because I think there's a lot of pressure in our culture, um, especially these days, to not discuss controversial things or not to be judgy by sharing your personal opinion that might contradict with somebody else's. Um, and Jesus is a bit controversial, right? It's a, yes. a touchy topic. So <laughs> how do we share him? <laughs> I think it's a, a really great question for especially today. So I am thrilled that today's guest is here to discuss that topic with us. He recently reached out to me about a podcast we recorded for September about faith deconstruction. That was one uh, with Bernice and Janelle and Hans. Um And when he did reach out to me, uh, (laughs) I jumped on the opportunity to ask him to join us here on the podcast. So Jason Schmidt, welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, Jason, I'm thrilled. So tell us a little bit about who you are and just your your background. Um, Well, my name is Jason, um, and um, I currently live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, I grew up here. Um, I was born in Washington, up in Snohomish, Washington, um, which is where our tiny little connection is. Um, and then when I was real young, moved down to Albuquerque with my family. Um, I was here until I was about 15, uh, almost 16, before I moved back up to a different town in Washington um, called Puyallup. Um, and then, you know, after that, I kind of bounced around for a while, went down in Northern California, back up to Seattle, to Boise, um, before landing back in Albuquerque again. Wow. Um, and all that was just for school and, and soccer and whatnot. Um, but I'm back in Albuquerque. I came back here originally for a job as a strength and conditioning coach at a little privately owned facility down here. Um, but since, um, and for a while now, you know, I've definitely felt a pull in the direction of, of full-time ministry. And so um, have started to make, you know, 
steps to try and when to get there. Who knows? I could be doing this for three years and and nothing would matriculate out of it, you know, or 10 years and nothing would matriculate out of it. Um, but that's where I'm at right now. So it's, uh, it's good. And I love being back in Albuquerque. Um, I love being outside. And so it's just been, it's been great. I get to live with my brother and, um, all of it's been good. Wow. And, um, you mentioned soccer. So do you still play soccer? Is that still a passion of yours? Um, I mean, I don't think I will ever not love the game. Um, I'm not playing as much right now just because there's not as many options available to me right now, time-wise. And and also with COVID and the shutdown, it's taken a while for things to get going again. Um, but that's something I'm trying to do more because I think I've been missing that in my life. I feel like there's this whole half of me um, that people here in Albuquerque just like don't know. And it's the half of me that's like not the most fun to be around when I'm playing soccer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, you know, because I think off the field, I think I can be seen as more soft-spoken and pretty mellow um but that is not the same jason that is present the rest of the time and so i do like i'll I'll play and i feel like i'm like man this is like this is something i did for 20 years and i just and i'm just expected to stop all of a sudden Mm. yeah Yeah. so as far as um ministry goes are you pursuing seminary is that something you're thinking because you're not do you mind if i ask you're not that old you're like 23 maybe is that right? 25. 25. Yeah. Okay. Um, so ancient. Um, <laughs> but no, you know, that's something I've been trying to figure out as well. Um, and that's been kind of a, a gradual process um, taking place for a while now is figuring out what this looks like for me specifically. Um, is seminary the route that I pursue? Um, I think I would love it. I love, honestly, I love school and I love learning and studying and, and I'm fascinated by um, the Bible and theology and in the history of it all. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I would really enjoy it. But, you know, then you get a lot of counsel from other people as well who say that, you know, it's not necessary and you don't necessarily need it. Um, and so, I don't know, I'll figure that out and I'm not in any rush really. And um, I think that'll become apparent to me at one point or another. Yeah. Well, Jason, uh, last week, Savannah shared her faith journey a little bit. Would you mind sharing some of yours? Um, yeah. Your background. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, so I feel like if I stopped it there, then you could get, you know, three different stories from three different people about what that actually meant for me growing up. Um, but I was very fortunate in that, you know, growing up as a pastor's kid, um, I don't think it entailed, I don't think it entailed all the same cliches that you get from a lot of PK stories. You know, I was very fortunate in that I had probably two of the wisest parents on the planet. Um, understood that in order for our faith to be um you know my dad liked to use the term sticky faith in order for in order for our faith to be sticky and to be long lasting um it had to be our own and it had to be authentic um and we had to get there on our own so obviously they were going to do everything they could in our house growing up and they did um to make it a faith-filled household and to make church a, a staple of our household and to make the bible a staple of our household which they did but it never felt um it never felt restrict like restrictive. It never felt um, overly regimented. Um, there was a lot of grace present, even in the way that they presented the gospel to my to my siblings and I. Um, so we grew up in the church. We were always in it. Um, but you know, we were also normal kids, and we played sports. So um, there was lots of Sundays that we weren't at church, and that was very okay with my parents, and that made it more okay with us. But for a long time, it was just my parents' faith, um, honestly. And, and you'll hear that story a lot. 
Um, and there was different checkpoints along the way that, you know, I felt really on fire and I felt like I was really coming into my own and then it would kind of diminish a little bit. And then, you know, the beginning of college happened and it diminished a lot. <laughs> and then, you know, it, it really forced me to look at myself and examine who it is that I am kind of at my core. Um, you know, I, I was at a, I was at a university in Northern California for a year and a half and it's probably the furthest I've fallen away from my faith in my life thus far. Um, and all of a sudden one day I woke up and I didn't really recognize who I was anymore. And I had to examine why. Um, and that why was because I had left one of the biggest parts of me behind, which was my faith. Um, that was the first time I ever felt truly called anywhere um, by God was my sophomore year of college. And it wasn't to a specific place. It was just away from where I was at. You know, um, in high school, I was very involved with young life and, um, you know, I was, I felt like I was very on fire in my faith. And so I was super excited for the opportunity going into college to be, you know, a light in the darkness or to, you know, kind of pave my own way because I knew where I was going. And I knew that where I was going, I was going to be one of, you know, a very few number of people who identified as a Christian. Um, and that was the case. And I think my people pleasing nature took over immediately without any fight back from me. Um, and, and so what God had to do was just call me not to somewhere specific, but just away. He basically had to tell me to just run because I wasn't going to get any better there by myself. Um, or who knows the reason, but that's, that's kind of what it appears like to me is that like I needed, I needed just to be out. Um, and so I did, I went and I ended up going up to Seattle to Seattle Pacific university. And it was the best thing for me. I went to um, FPU. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Did you play soccer there? I did. Yes. Yeah, they have a good soccer team. Yeah. From what I understand, the soccer team hasn't had the best reputation on campus, <laughs> like historically speaking. <laughs> Maybe Especially, 20 years ago it was different. Yeah, especially. Um, actually, yeah, my, my dad mentioned he had a lot of students that went to SPU, so he would go visit Seattle Pacific pretty frequently. Um, and uh, no, so I went there and it was the best thing for my faith. Not, you know, the school was great, but the biggest thing for my faith was just kind of re-realizing how important it is to have that community around you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those things that like you hear a thousand times growing up and it's a very rudimentary thing to understand. But it took a very long time for me for that to transfer from kind of that head knowledge to that actual real life heart knowledge um, of just like, oh, no, like I need this. <laughs> I need this community of believers around me because um, I was suffering without it. And so Seattle Pacific was a great thing for me. And, yeah. um, um, and then I graduated. I went off to Boise State. And, you know, right around the time I was graduating, um, I kind of felt this pull to ministry. Um, but, you know um things that um things that had transpired they made me nervous that feeling this pull into ministry was more of an emotional reaction um and so around when i was graduating i felt this pull into ministry and, and it wasn't the first time i had felt it um it was kind of a progressive process but i you know, i felt again and and my dad had just my dad had just passed in a car accident um and so i was I'm always more nervous about my own intentions than just in about anything else. And so I was worried that me feeling this, this call into ministry was an emotional reaction. And it was me just feeling like I needed to fill his shoes or, or continue his legacy. And, and, you know, I wanted this call into ministry to be genuine. And so I think I tabled it and I waited because I didn't fully believe myself yet. 
Um, and then I went to Boise State for grad school for athletic training. But right around that same time, I was feeling that pull into ministry again. But, you know, again, I, I got nervous of my own intentions and I got nervous that I was seeing ministry as like an alternative to something that I thought I was going to do for a long time. I thought I was going to go into athletic training since like my sophomore year of high school. And I was stoked about it and I was fascinated by it. And I love the human body and I love the human body and movement. Um, but all of a sudden I'm confronted with this reality that I don't like it. And I was nervous that I was using ministry. It's just like, okay, like I didn't like this. So why not ministry? So again, I tabled it and waited and I felt kind of drawn back to Albuquerque, moved back here, loved my job, um, loved what I was doing. Um, I felt fulfilled every day. I was at a, at a facility here called Elevate PHW and it was great and phenomenal. Um, but I still felt this pull. And so I was back in a place that I was content with where I was at. I loved my community. I loved what I was doing and I still felt this pull to ministry. And so I thought it was finally time for me to start kind of figuring out what that meant for me. And I think that brings me to where I'm at now, which is still figuring it out and trying to get more and more involved at the church I'm at. Um, Wow. And trying to be patient and understand that I don't really know what's going on ever, honestly. <laughs> you know, in preparation for this talk, um, I re-listened to a little talk that your dad gave uh, in January of 2019. Um, your mom had shared it. And I'll yeah. share a little bit more about the connection with your dad here in a second. But he was talking about... Um, collectives like groups of people are mm -hmm. groups of people or groups of animals and uh, a collective of rhinos is called a crash and like yeah. not knowing what you're doing but just having the vision of Jesus and he talked about be that my vision you know and um, yeah. one of the things that he kept on sharing was uh, you know how far can you see in front of you and if Jesus is what you can see then you're going to be okay like it was that like constant yeah. reminder and it was so precious to re-listen to that this morning um, because uh, you may have not figured it out yet, friend, but I've talked about Jason's dad here on the podcast uh, multiple times. In fact, when I, whenever I talk, not every time I talk, but when I speak uh, at different events and things, sometimes I will talk about um, Jason's dad here. His name is Jonathan. Jonathan Schmidt, uh, besides uh, my parents probably had one of the... <laughs> not one of the greatest influence in my life as far as my faith uh, went. Um, I was part of his youth group in the 90s uh, in Snohomish. In fact, Jason, um, how old were you in July, August of 1997? Were you like uh, eight less, months old? Less than a year old, yeah. Okay. I always thought that was Justin, your older brother. Okay, I must have forgotten that there was a little boy, because I wasn't really into little kids. I knew about <laughs> Aaliyah and Courtney, your sisters. I must have forgotten that there was a Justin, because I thought I had never met you. But I have pictures in my scrapbook of you being held by different uh, kids in our youth group. Because uh, really? you came to IYC, to Colorado with us. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And it flooded, and there was that crazy oh, like flash flood in the yeah. studio. And right? we all like yeah. took turns holding you. Yes. And um, So I've heard this story obviously yeah. <laughs> I don't remember it yeah yeah it was crazy um your dad was so like you adventurous and um you know at from my perspective as one of his students um just on fire for the Lord you know and one of the things that was so compelling about your dad 
um, is the way he would talk about his relationship with Christ. And I remember him sharing, and I'm probably going to misquote some of these memories because these are the things I remember and they may not, (laughs) I can't ask him now, but I remember him sharing about mistakes he had made in college and he was so honest and vulnerable about that. And it was so encouraging to a bunch of teenagers who were kind of figuring it out as we go along and would kind of make our own mistakes in the, in the future. And then um, I remember one time, and this has really impacted my life, he shared about asking God for a burden for the lost and um, how he asked directly to feel the pain that God feels when people reject him. And he cautioned all of us to not pray exactly like that. But what I took from that um, from that message from your dad was if we asked God for something that breaks his heart to give us some of that there's a song that's popular now, like Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours, that God would answer that prayer in a very real, tangible way. And he has, um, for me on this podcast and sharing ministry with young women who are kind of questioning faith or feeling insecure about faith, because um, I was that girl sitting in youth group at Impact, sitting there and going, what Jonathan Schmidt has, I want. I want that. So... Um, Will you tell us a little bit more about your dad? Yeah. Yeah. um, I don't know. I think, I think I get not nervous talking about him, but I think I get cautious of just saying the same thing over and over again. Um, Because there is so much to to who he is. I never want people to get a two-dimensional view of him. Um, You know, that's been, I think one of the, one of the most unexpectedly difficult parts of all this is just the fact that like people don't get to meet him anymore. Um, and that when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound like that would be unexpectedly difficult, but just the amount of times that I've just been sitting and, and now with a new community around my brother and I just wishing that all of these young adults around us could meet him also. Um, just knowing the impact that he's had on young adults his entire life and just wishing that people could meet him because he was adventurous and he was kind and gracious and genuine um nothing ever felt like it was a facade nothing ever felt like he was trying too hard it was just who he was to be warm and welcoming um and to bring people in with um words bring people in with um playing and activities you know (laughs) he uh I think one of my favorite parts about him is he forever understood the necessity of, of playing even into adulthood, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the fact that people still do need to, to play and to have fun and, and to build community and connection that way and to break down barriers. And he did all that seamlessly. Um, he was um, wise, but never imposing. Um, so he held all of this and he, he had this vast, you know, wealth of, of wisdom to offer people when they came searching for it, but he would never impose it unless it was asked for. Um, and he was humble. Um, and my favorite thing about him was, my favorite thing about him because of what we were able to share because of it was just his appreciation for, for life's little moments um, and his appreciation for simple things. Um, and his intentionality in making making time and, and making intentional time uh, and quality time. Um, you know, him and I would, um, him and I, and he also did the same thing with my brother and 
um, we would go get breakfast every Friday morning before school once we were in high school, you know. Um, and it was usually at Twisters when we were here in Albuquerque. And then when we were in Puyallup, we, I think we did like the original pancake house, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> there was no Twisters, unfortunately. Um, but he was just kind. Um, and I think that word is thrown around too often with too little weight. I think it can start to mean less. You know, I think kindness can be associated with just being like a nice guy. But I think kindness is weightier than that. And I think my dad was just kind in that. Like, that's just who he was. He just cared deeply for others. And, and he did feel a burden for people who were lost. Um, and it showed through his ministry, but it also just showed through how he kind of lived out every day with us kids at home. And he's funny. And he laughed really loud. And that made things funnier because he made me feel funny because he laughed really loud. Um, and he loved my mom really well. And he's very intentional. Um, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Do you know um, why Galatians 6-9 was his favorite verse? Because he used to quote that to us all the time as, uh, in his youth group. He would always say, do not grow weary in doing good, mm -hmm. for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And I remember hearing, like, it was ingrained in us. Uh, this verse that he said was his life verse. Do you, did he ever share that with you or do, could you guess why? Um, no, I don't know the exact reason why it's his favorite verse. Um, I think you could make lots of implications there and lots of guesses. And I think it would, you know, those implications and guesses would be, um, they would speak to, again, the nature of who he is and how he lived out his ministry, which was, um, he was consistent. Um, he was consistent and he wasn't boastful. He wasn't prideful. Um, and I think what that verse has um, implicit within it is that you need to be consistent and you have to be accepting of the fact that you may never see this harvest, um, but this harvest will be reaped, um, if not by you. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was something he was willing to, you know, that was that was the hill he would die on, so to speak. Um, so no, I don't know the exact reason, but I think it does speak to his consistency and his humility um, and just his genuine care for others. Um, yeah. yeah. I remember when I was 15 years old, uh, your dad and the head pastor, uh, Doug Penoyer, they led a group of about 50 of us. Um, this was probably before you were born. <laughs> 1996 to the Philippines. We went to the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. And um, while we were there, we shared the gospel through a, like biblical allegory. It was this elaborate, um, you know, mime. YWAM had come in and they had trained us and there was music and there was costumes and there were props and makeup. Huge undertaking. As an adult now, I'm like, what were you thinking? <laughs> they did it. We went all over the place. We toured the whole country. Um, it felt like. Anyway, we were there for three weeks. And at one point, I think we were at the University of the Philippines. And I want to say 80 Filipino students came to Christ that night. Um, wow. And your dad, I remember afterwards, he said something to us like, um, other people uh, worked on this harvest, Right. Uh, for whatever reason, we got to reap it tonight. But do not yeah. forget that there were other people who, you know, were part of what this, they were the ones who did the work here. Um, mm -hmm. That God 
allowed us to see the harvest tonight, but most of the time it's going to be the working, right? And so when I think of people who just live their faith out, and, and honestly, you know, with the culture we live in now, there's so much negativity towards 90s purity culture and, oh, it was so bad how we used to do things. <laughs> you know what? The 90s were really good to me, and it's because of Jonathan and Janice Schmidt <laughs> and the entire community. I mean, they took that youth group. I think Doug Ponoyer said in a church of 400 on Wednesday nights, there were 200 kids that would come to that youth group every week. Uh, that's remarkable in a small community like Snohomish. Um, so how did you see your dad sharing his faith with people? And then Savannah, you, I want you to feel free to jump in here. I, uh, yeah, ask whatever questions you want. Um, well, I think that would actually be, um, I think that would actually be like a regret I have is not paying more attention to, um, things like that growing up, not paying more attention to how my dad um, intentionally shared the gospel to people. Cause I was able to just by living with him, um, and by, you know, being his son and being around, um, see how he lived out the gospel and, you know, shared the gospel wordlessly and shared the gospel with his actions. But, you know, I was a child and, and didn't have a lot of interest in paying attention to how he shared the gospel intentionally. Um, but how I did see my dad share the gospel with people was by his actions and, and through his living. Um, you know, from it was easy to tell from the moment that you would meet him um, that grace was his policy um, and that forgiveness was his policy um, and that there was no condemnation, there was no judgment. Um, and it was easy to tell just by knowing him that he understood that the gospel is, is Jesus plus nothing. Um, and that's something he would tell us, you know, he would say the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Um, there's no requirements. There's no prereqs. There's, um, there's no stipulations, nothing that you can do is ever going to get you to salvation. Um, and it was just easy to tell. And in the word that, you know, keeps coming back into my mind, the more I talk about him is just humility. Cause even within that statement, there's a lot of humility of just, there's absolutely nothing that I will ever be able to do that's going to bring me closer to salvation. And there's absolutely nothing that I can ever say to anybody else that's going to bring them closer to salvation. Um, and it also takes a lot of pressure off. Um, mm -hmm. But he, you know, um, like I said, it was everything he did um, with my family that he also extended to everyone else, which is just intentionality with time and consistency and kindness and graciousness. Um, where I think his biggest strengths in sharing the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like, you know, from the other perspective of being one of his students, um, he was really into discipleship. You know, it wasn't just his story. It was, and it sounds like he did this with you kids too. Like he was always constantly investing in mm -hmm. the people around him, you know, at, youth group it wasn't just about the kids it was about the parents too you know he'd bring them in and he would invest in them I think there was a Sunday I don't even remember but I I, I recall that he trained the leaders too you know and then he would have student leaders and he would spend extra time with us you know I don't know how your mom <laughs> now like being <laughs> a wife with four kids like she put up with all that like he was gone all the time I'm sure um but he yeah. it felt like he was constantly 
with us, you know, investing in that time um, and allowing us to ask the hard questions. I remember sitting up in the room above the gym uh, with a bunch of high schoolers. I want to say like 20 kids would show up for this early morning class, you know, to just learn about how to share your faith with people around you at school, you know, and I remember sometimes people would be like, I shared my faith with so-and-so, and it was like this victory, you know, and talking about that, and he was, um, you know, no one's perfect. I know, uh, you know, your dad wasn't perfect, but he oh, was no. a cheerleader. <laughs> he was a cheerleader of other people getting it right and reminding yeah. us of who Christ was. Like you're saying, Jesus plus nothing. Um, you know, one of, I, I remember listening to one of uh, the sermons that he gave at the church in Wyoming, and he was talking about out of Uh, the gospel of John, where Jesus prayed at the end of his life, you know, the night before the night he was betrayed, um, his desire, eternal life was that they would know the father and that they would know him, you know, and I think your dad lived that out in such a beautiful way. You know, Lisa Turkers wrote in one of her books, like be the type of person that when people look at you, they can say, you've been with Jesus like that. That was what I saw in your father, you know, it was somebody who had something so compelling because he had spent time uh, with his heavenly father and with Christ. So Savannah, do you want to follow up with any of this? Because I I feel like I've just. Oh, no, I'm just soaking it all in (laughs) listening. It's really good. (laughs) It's really awesome. It's a powerful story. Do you feel like in a way, um, if you don't mind me asking, do you feel like you're kind of going into ministry, you're carrying on? your dad's legacy and you feel like there's that like piece of him with you as you're, as you're moving forward in this. Yeah, I think, um, I think that was something I was very wary of actually kind of the opposite. I was very wary of doing that because I didn't want it to seem fabricated. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think I was so, I was so internally focused when I was thinking about that, that I was just, um, I didn't want to give off the wrong perception and there's a whole lot of issues that you could get into with all of that. Right. But no, that is something that I've gotten more comfortable with, but also feeling more blessed by the longer that I continue to take steps in this direction is I do feel blessed that I do get to kind of feel this connection, um, you know, where, um, it's just, he's, he's not here with us and, um, and I'm going to try and not say anything, like theologically controversial about anybody on the other side, right? That's, he's not, he's not with me every day. Like, that's just not true. Um, but, you know, like my brother and I have been leading a small group on, on Thursday nights. Um, and it's a group of young adults and we meet in my mom's living room actually. Hmm. And, you know, when she shared that, that's how my dad got started. That was my dad's entire start to ministry was leading a, a college group Bible study in their living room. Um, and so it is just, I now am less wary of those things and kind of count them as blessings that it's just um, there there's moments of sadness in there where hearing about those kind of stories makes me wish that he could just be here to experience them with me. Um, But it is quickly, you know, kind of reoriented as a blessing where I realized that it, I had an amazing example and, and to even be in the same realm of where he was, it's, exciting and you know uh, so I don't know because <laughs> I still don't a lot of a lot of this isn't as fleshed out as I would like it to be because I still don't know where I'm headed 
Um, but it, it feels like a blessing, I should say. I don't know if I'm carrying on his legacy, but it feels like a blessing to. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's nice that you're kind of making it, you know, your own journey too. He's still with you, but you're just going about it, seeing where God leads you. That's really, really cool. Yeah, I would, I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> In uh, 1997, when we were at uh, the Moby Arena in Colorado, at Colorado State University, and it was pouring down rain and stuff. Um, I don't know if it was that night, but one of the nights that we were there, there were thousands of kids at this international youth conference. They handed out these cards, you know, and you could sign them. And they said, the covenant of a believer, the covenant of a worker, the covenant of a leader, whatever. And I kept mine. Um, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but I, I still see it floating around my house sometimes, you know, and I look at that and I, it always reminds me of your dad. And um, when your dad passed away, they had like a virtual uh, memorial in uh, Snohomish. And um, so those of us who attended that, we got to like share some memories that we had of your dad and different things and encourage one another. And um, man, I mean, there were tons of people there, which was crazy, you know. And, um, and I remember like holding up that card and being like, and I think you, Jason, part of the reason that you reached out to me, it's like, we share this sentiment, like the harvest is still going on, right? Like we get to be part of the harvest. We get to be like continuing to do the good work that God called us in advance to do. And something that your dad always did was he just would point people back to Jesus. Like you said, you know, Jesus plus nobody. I think he would even say like, <laughs> kind of like Corey Tinboom, like, it's not about me. It's about the Lord. But it was so beautiful. It's so beautiful when we see that. And I, I just would encourage anyone listening, if you don't have a Jonathan in your life, somebody who has just poured into you, who has been walking with the Lord, and you can see that overflow in their life, in the way that they treat you, in the way that they treat others, um, in the way that you feel compelled towards Jesus, I just would encourage you to pray and ask God to bring someone like that into your life. Um, because I would guess, uh, because the Christian walk is not done very well alone, uh, that most of us, we need Jonathans in our life. We need people who are going to encourage us and remind us of truth um, and point us back to the Lord. Um, so anyway, any final thoughts on that or any story you want to share, Jason? I'm just thankful that you're here. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your dad. This is just such a gift. Um, so anyway. Um, nothing that I can think of right now. Um, I think you'd be mortified if you heard how much we were talking about him. I, right now. <laughs> I think you'd be absolutely horrified at just the amount that his name has been brought up in this one podcast. Mm -hmm. um, no other, no other final thoughts besides that. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you being okay with me kind of finding my way through all this a little oh. bit. I, I'm so grateful, and I hope that you come back on the podcast when, uh, you know, in a year or two from now when things are more fleshed out for you because, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for you. I think that's awesome. It's awesome that God's calling you into ministry. That's, uh, I mean, I, I have friends who are in ministry, and I know it's really hard, but God is just, he's so faithful. He's so good, and uh yeah, there's a lot more I could say about that. But um, Savannah, 
you have the final question there. Do you want to ask Jason? All right. It says, the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which of those stand out to you in your life most right now and why? Do you want to reread the four gifts for yes. me? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Ooh, which of those stand out the most to me? Yeah. Um, I would say um, a big theme for me right now, and, and I kind of already spoke on it even this morning, um, would be authenticity. Um, I think I'm trying to find a way to communicate um, authentically what this faith means to me. Um, and the more that I do kind of feel the burden um, of people who don't yet know know Jesus, my, my biggest hangup is like, okay, but how do I communicate this in a way for them to know how much I authentically believe this? And how do I make it not seem fabricated or um, like I'm trying to put up an image that is enjoyable to them, you know, for them to look at? How do I show them the same real authentic God that, that I have had the pleasure of knowing? Um, and I think that has, um, I've even written a lot about that word itself, actually. Um, and just kind of what it means to implement that into um, everything I'm doing right now. Um, from the small group to um, what it looks like serving on a Sunday. Because I never want... I never want my lack of authenticity to be a stumbling block for people when it comes to knowing Christ. Um, Cause I think it so often can be. Um, and so I want people to know that what they're looking at is what it is um, and nothing more. Um, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. It's really awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jason Schmidt and Savannah Dunbar, thank you both so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time. <laughs>